The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. Gracious God, however we find ourselves this morning, help us to believe that you have seen to this moment and that you see us in all of our contradiction and all of our getting it and not getting it and all of our beauty and all of our fragmentation. And your response is always to move towards us, to redeem, restore, to heal, to renew. And so help us to believe that and to help us believe that you have arranged this moment and have something you want us to hear. And so give us grace to know that you are with us. Help us to be present to your presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the hardest things you have to teach a child when you're raising little kids is how to wait. It just doesn't come naturally, it seems, to anyone. Wait on that. That's always like the worst words a little kid can hear. You have to wait. Not interested. My son, John Mark, who's now 31, he, uh, he was obsessed with sugar as a kid. I mean, it was just, he was obsessed. He saw a cupcake meltdown. I want the cake. I want it right this minute. And you would say, no, you have to wait. He hated it. This is actually an appropriate picture of John Mark as a child as he's cramming a cookie into his mouth. His little fat little kid hands, you know, pushing them in like this. And that's him. And, and the thing about children, especially John Mark, is they're just, there's, a, there's something about a clarity and a purity of desire that they have. And there's just no sugarcoating it. And, and John Mark, this is what he would say to me over and over again. I'd say, you know, I'd give him a son. You can't have that right now. Dinner's coming up in an hour or two. Or you just had some, or you can't have too much. You know, I'm doing good logic, really good parenting. And he would look at me, dry off his tears, and look at me and say, but I want it. I was like, that's your argument? 
you want it? <laughs> Nothing more than that? But I want it was very sufficient for John Mark. That's all the reason he needed. But I want it. And I want it now. And in some ways, as I look at the three temptations here as we're looking at it today, it's a little bit, they all have this immediacy to them. I want it, and I want it now. I mean, we've all been tempted, we've all failed, we're forgiven, but what can we learn about Jesus' experience? And it's more than just an experience of temptation, it's an experience in the wilderness. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus didn't choose it, was led into this wilderness. So all wilderness is not bad. Some wilderness is really very important. Jesus was led into a place where he was, a not, he was not supposed to thrive, but merely survive. And yet, we look at this passage with that kind of lens on, and the theme of Lent in general that we're employing this year, full to the brim, even in the desert, God's presence is with him. There is enough. And so let's look at the three ways, the three, three things that I think kind of the tempter here is kind of targeting. The first is, there's a target around Jesus' hunger. Turn this stone into bread. And the implication is, is that God's beloved should never feel hunger. If you're really God's child, if you're really God's beloved, then you should never actually feel hunger. That shouldn't be something that's a part of your life. You should not have to ever deal with any unmet desire if you're God's beloved. You can't be human and hungry is kind of the lie here. There's a certain sense in which the tempter is perhaps cheating Jesus or inviting Jesus to cheat on being human. You know, you're the beloved, and you should never feel that. But Jesus says no, because being human means in our healthiest selves, waiting with the hunger, with the unmet desire, with the questions, with even the pain, paying attention to it, seeing it as something to teach us perhaps, and to experience God's presence in a surprisingly new and fresh way in the midst of that, instead of trying to immediately satiate it. I mean, the story of our lives, if we're honest, I'll bet, the story of our lives are the terrible decisions we've made because we had to take matters into our own hands. Because we had, to, we had to deal with some unmet desire or hunger immediately instead of sitting with it. And we demand that it be fulfilled yesterday. <laughs> I want it now. I mean, what are we doing during Lent? Why do people fast during Lent? Why are we giving up things during Lent? Often it's because it's, the point is to sit with hunger. To sit with that uneasiness, to... to, to lean into discomfort and to see what that has to actually teach us. To see ourselves as both loved and hungry. Not loved or hungry, but loved and hungry because hunger can be a classroom. And so this question of this temptation is, can God be trusted with our hunger? our hunger for friendship, our hunger for intimacy, our hunger for money, for success, for family, whatever it is, all good things, not coming our way on our timetable. 
Where in your life have you tried to turn a stone into bread? You think about it. The stone doesn't get just to get to be a stone. No, it has to be turned into bread. And when we get into that mode of demanding that everything be resolved immediately, we will distort things. We will distort people. When your hunger for success, for example, is out of control, you won't love people. You won't listen to people. You'll use people. They become a way in which, a useful way in which for you to achieve what you are so hungry to achieve. Do you see this? And lives, our people, our relationships can become incredibly transactional. If you could do something for me, then, then I could do something for you, and, then, and that's how you end up living. Instead of embracing the hunger and letting it go and, and trusting that God will meet you there. I'm not saying that hunger's bad at all, but the impulse to immediately satiate it I think is to miss the potentially huge learning opportunity. The invitation of Lent is in some ways to repent of taking matters into our own hands as an actual life strategy. And instead, living into the adventure of trusting that you can be hungry and loved and that the food that God gives you may not be the food you choose, but it will be the food that will nourish your soul, and if shared, nourish the world. So that's target number one. Jesus is targeted for his hunger. Secondly, Jesus' ego is targeted. You can have all the kingdoms of the world. You can have, the. I think the passage actually says, the glory of all of this. And the kind of the lie here is that if you're God's beloved, you cannot live a life of modesty and even obscurity. No, no, no. If you're God's beloved, fame, clout, power, living under the staged lights of, of, of applause, even being envied, now that's what it means to be God's beloved. Visibility, recognition, it can all be yours now. And of course, in many ways, this is the distortion of what's called the prosperity gospel right now, that if you're God's beloved, you should be rich. You should have power. You know, I, I forgot about this, but a friend uh, texted me about it recently. You probably have seen this Instagram account called Preachers in Sneakers. Preachers and then just the word, uh, the letter N, sneakers if you want to look it up. But it's, it's kind of these evangelical jet set you know, massive megachurch pastors who are wearing $2,500 sneakers. And somebody's angry about it. And they started an Instagram account. <laughs> and it'll show the preacher wearing the $2,500 tennis shoes. And then it'll show the actual cost of the shoes on some store thing just to prove the point. One person has an $8,200 uh, coat. And one of the comments was, I'm looking at his whole getup. And it could buy me a car that I so desperately need if he'd just give me the clothes he's wearing in this picture. Hmm. It is not and nothing to do with Jesus in his way. Can you embrace? Can you embrace Jesus' version of significance? Because Jesus' version of significance is going to be about humility, 
It's going to be about surrender. Or will your life always be characterized by, I need to be liked. I want you to notice me. I want you to like me. I want you to constantly have to feed my ego. Or will you know a day when you'll be free of that? Will you know, know a day when you will have the freedom of just not caring about those things? Is that even possible? Or will your life always be about getting noticed, liked, name-dropping, cozying up to power? And let me tell you, it can be very sneaky because you could be someone who says, you know what, I've begun to understand what systematic oppression is really about, or systemic oppression is about, and I'm going to give myself these things. And you know what you'll do with that? And me, because we're, this is what we do because of our ego, we'll start taking pictures of ourselves doing all those things. Right? Yeah. Virtue signaling. I mean, this stuff is sneaky. You know, recently I was doing some coaching with a pastoral colleague, and I was telling them their gifts. And I was like, this is what I see your gifts are. And then at the, the last thing I told them, I said, is, here's, here's, here's your gift as well. You are really low energy. And that is such a gift. The people who have saved my life are low energy people. My wife is low energy. She is a Zen maker. <laughs> My therapist of 12 years, Dr. Gordon Preston, now retired right before COVID, great timing. <laughs> His great gift to me was Monday at 11.30, I walk into low energy, modesty, even obscurity. He was a man done with himself. And the great gift that is in a world that just tells us to achieve, 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 and hurry and go. Authentic power. Authentic power. Is not power over, as Brene Brown says, but power with. Where power expands when it's shared with others. Not when it seeks to acquire. Can you Trust that God will meet you in the unglitzy, the unimpressive, and the obscure. Because Jesus is actually lifted up on a cross. On a cross. The power of surrender, of co-suffering love. And this is why the gospel of Jesus that turns the world upside down, because if the story is of a God who sits on a cross and who leads with co-suffering love and on that cross forgives people for putting him on that cross, if that's what God is like, and then is raised to life to vindicate this entire way of power with, if that's all true, we can finally rest from all of our frantic, exhausting ego games. What a relief. What a relief to just be satisfied to live under the loving gaze of the God who loves you and made you. In fact, if you could just get like one taste of that in your whole life, it's enough. And then lastly, the target is Jesus' vulnerability. Vulnerability. 
So Jesus' hunger is targeted. Jesus' ego is targeted. And then Jesus' vulnerability, because basically, he says, okay, throw yourself off this building. Angels will come and scoop you up. Angels will never let you be harmed. And it implies that God's beloved will always be kept safe from harm, whether it's physical, whether it's disease, whether it's heartache, whether it's depression, whether it's death even, whether it's unexpected accidents that take place in a person's life, all the things that you didn't see coming. No, no, no. God's beloved will get a pass on all those things. We probably all have a friend who's posted faith over fear when it comes to making a decision to get a vaccination. That's, where this, that's the bad theology playing out. That if I'll just have faith, the virus will somehow bypass me. The tempter comes and says, God's beloved won't have to be human in this way. It's so enticing. And it's so false. And all we have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus bleeds. We'll bleed. Jesus aches. We'll ache. Jesus suffers. We'll suffer. And it's not that God will be there to explain it all, but it is that God will share it with you and be with you in it. Because as Richard Rohr likes to say, God never wastes pain. He goes on to say, if you have that one, Jason, I'm ready for that one now. He says, there are only two major paths by which the human soul comes to God, the path of great love and the one of great suffering. Both finally come down to great suffering because if we love anything greatly, we'll eventually suffer for it. When we're young, God hides this from us. We think it won't have to be true for us. But to love anything in depth and over the long term, we eventually must suffer. That's one of the schools, one of the most effective schools that God has for us. And it's not the one we want. (laughs) But you don't have to ask for it. It'll come your way. It'll find you. Aren't you encouraged? (laughs) Aren't you glad you came to City Church today? You know, Paula D'Arcy is a a retreat speaker and writer and um, really brilliant. And um, her life story has to do with the fact that her husband and her small child were killed in a car accident. And it took her into the wilderness. Um, It took her into a place where she never would actually think she'd find God, but actually the absence of God. And she writes about it in um, her book, The Gift of the Redbird. And one of the things she writes about it, she says, I noticed all sorts of things I've never seen before when I allowed myself to go with my grief into the wilderness. She says, is everything holy? I learned that when the upper limb of a cottonwood tree is cut crosswise, the grain reveals a perfect five-pointed star. The star is understood as a sign of the great spirit's presence in the tree's holy nature. Even the breeze blowing through the cottonwood leaves is understood to be its prayer. Who would ever notice in my busy life that a star is secreted in a cottonwood tree? It makes me wonder... Are there equally hidden depths inside of me? I just give that as one example of what she writes about as she goes into her own wilderness with lots of unanswered questions. 
only to find out, as she goes on to say in the book, God comes to you disguised as your life. God comes to you disguised as your life. Friends, we are loved by God in our vulnerability, not out of it. God does not guarantee immunity from suffering, but rather to be with us in it, to do some of God's best work in our vulnerability. Which makes me say, if in order for you really to be vulnerable, I believe you have to become a student of your own personal history. That you and your story are worth understanding. Is worth you looking at that, maybe with the help of a good therapist, to unravel and understand your story, because then you can drop that shield and all that armor that you carry around right now, because you're not sure what to do with your story. In fact, you might be terrified of yourself to finally know that I can be okay and loved and vulnerable at the same time. In fact, I would say that we can believe all of this because of the story of Jesus and of, in particular, the resurrection that God can bring about the greatest good, the resurrection of Jesus, in the midst of the greatest bad, deicide, means if that's true, that means in my own life and all of my trials and tribulations, I can trust that somehow in a way that I cannot right now envision or even really imagine a resurrection that will take place. Somehow, some way. And I could build my life on that. Now, so in all of this, what do you hear? I hope you hear that the tempter is saying, you need to panic. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, you don't have to panic. I don't have to panic. Can you, Jesus, the tempter is saying, tolerate being human? And some of the disciplines it's going to take to be human in a healthy way, to be able to wait, to abdicate power, to accept danger, to trust God with the unpredictability of this life that often is a veil of tears. Debbie Thomas says in her blog, Journey with Jesus, If Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness is a time of self-creation, a time for the Son of God to decide who He is and how He will live out His calling, then here is what He chooses, emptiness over fullness, obscurity over honor, vulnerability over rescue. At every instance when Jesus can reach for the magical, the glorious, and the safe, He reaches instead for the mundane, the visible, and the risky. Do you want to be full in the wilderness that is this life? Maybe we reach instead for the mundane, the invisible, and the risky. And experience 
abundance when we thought we would only experience scarcity. That's the courageous invitation of Lent, and I believe of this passage. That Jesus didn't choose the wilderness, but he stayed in it until it had taught him what it needed to teach him. We'll finish with this Debbie Thomas quote. What does this mean for us as we begin our Lenten journey this year? Maybe it means it's a time to follow Jesus into the desert. It's time to stay and look evil in the face. It's time to hear evil's voice, recognize its allure, and confess its appeal. It's time to decide who we are and whose we are. Remember, Lent is not a time to do penance for being human. It's a time to embrace all that it means to be human, human and hungry, human and vulnerable, human and beloved. Let's pray. Gracious God, however this sermon and these thoughts today need to land with us, may your spirit land it in our psyche and our heart and our soul in ways that will enable us to relax, that will enable us to trust that in all of our unanswered questions and in all of our sorrow and all of our pain, you are there with us so that that pain may be transformed. And so during this Lenten journey, we ask that you would give us your presence and that we might say at the end of this Lenten season that we've learned to sit with you and be patient to sit with you and to know we can be vulnerable, to sit with you and embrace not having to have it all together. Give us grace for that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.